Hi, I'm Lisa Fields, the founder and the president of the Jude 3 Project. I'm so excited that you're tuning in for another week of the Jude 3 Project podcast. I want to thank all of our monthly supporters and our one-time givers. We greatly appreciate your support. We could not do what we do without the generosity of people like you. Every gift helps equip and we're so thankful that you help us to carry out the mission and vision of the Jude 3 Project. For those who aren't a monthly partner, please consider becoming a monthly partner by going to jude3project.org and hitting the donate tab. You can either do it electronically or you could send it in by mail. The address to mail it in is available there as well. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Watching another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Justice. I can't pronounce your last name. I, I don't <laughs> want to get it wrong. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to, I'll let you say it. Um, we met at RZIM um, and we just had an interesting conversation. Um, and uh, before we even get into the subject matter, I'll just let you tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you very much, Lisa. And I assure you that it's an honor to be on this platform. And I thank God for what God is using you to do and the prospects that this platform has. My name is Justice Okoronkwa. And um, I'm an, uh, an agro-mechanical engineer. Uh, before I met the Lord, uh, I actually met the Lord in my first year in the campus when I went to study engineering. And since then, I have gone back into seminary to do some um, degree in theology and uh, master's in ethics and philosophy and uh, I've been serving as an Anglican priest in the Anglican Diocese of Jaws. Jaws is in the middle belt in Nigeria that is where you have the fault line between the predominant uh, Muslim north and the Christian south and that is where the bombs started uh, detonating um, just two days before you had 9-11 in the US so um, that is why I'm doing ministry. I'm married, and my wife is called Winifred, and I have four lovely boys, Marvel, Triumph, Noble, and uh, Fortune. I also serve as the director of missions in the Anglican Diocese of Jaws, covering many of those areas within the Northeast. I mean areas where Boko Haram devastation is a reality. These are part of our mission fields here in Nigeria. Awesome. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today and so excited about it. Um, Today, uh, we're releasing this episode on Halloween, um, and we want to talk about this whole concept of Black magic and African spiritualities because there is a return in in, in the African-American community for many to African spiritualities and African religions because they feel like Christianity is a white man's religion and they want to return back to what our ancestors might have practiced before they were um, uh, brought here against their will um, across the transatlantic slave trade, captured and sold into slavery. And so um, there's a return to it 
um, for many young Black millennials and Gen Z. And so we kind of want to talk about it um, here. And we, you and I talked about it a little bit when we were um, in Atlanta when I first met you. And I thought it would be good to get you on the podcast to talk about it. Um, when you think about African spiritualities, uh, how would you kind of um, quantify it? Or how would you kind of categorize it? Looking at African mysticism or African spirituality, if you want to go into that sphere with definitions, you might not get the best of it. But when you try to have an explanation, because definition by nature will exclude, and this is a whole area where many people have tried to find definitions from the lens of the Western researchers, and they have not been able to do that. So it has to be with somebody who has his feet on the African soil and has, has found experience within that narrative to be able to speak about it. So what I'll be able to explain a little bit is that to understand it, you need to know that the African cosmology gives validity or acknowledges three realms. The first one is the realm of man. That's the lowest realm. Then you have the second realm, which is the realm of the spirits. Then you have the highest realm, which is the realm of the Supreme God. Now, within the realm of the spirit, it's further divided, or will I say you are having like levels, wherein you have the spirits, you have deities who are responsible for different things that affect everyday lives of people. Then you now have the ancestors. So you have those three that are, that are operating within that realm of the spirits within Africans. So you have these three realms, the God who is the supreme God, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, but he's out there. Somehow you can't access him until you go through this particular realm of the spirits, through the ancestors and through the, the, the deities who are ways of reaching out to him, who serve in different avenues of people. And then all those now relate with the man himself who is on ground. So when you talk about African mysticism, you're talking about the dynamics the interactions, the intercourse on with the, of these three levels and how they eventually create the platforms from where the African draws his experiences and gives validity to his narratives. That is what you would have understood by when, when you talk about um, African mysticism. Mm -hmm. Within African spiritual, spiritualism and mysticism, there seems to be um, some dabbling in the occult uh, or... Uh, people say uh, maybe things like voodoo or I don't, that's what it's kind of labeled in the Caribbean, but in Africa, um, I can't remember the term and, and you probably could correct me on that, but it's kind of like using, uh, conjuring up spirits and rituals to create spiritual um, magic in a sense, if that makes sense. I don't think I'm, I'm articulating yeah. it the best, but I, I, I hope you understand what, I, what I'm trying to articulate. Yes, I understand what you're trying to say, yeah. Um, you see, in African mysticism or spirituality, the place where you have the high traffic is not between the highest realm where you have the Supreme God and man. It is between the middle realm where you have the spirits, the deities, and the, the, um, the, the uh, ancestors. Now, within that realm, magic is also found to be valid. That is the, the, the use of power to manipulate nature. 
that is a valid experience. It is sometimes I've heard people from the Western world deny the reality of that. And I want to assure you that it is very, very real. Now, it is also a very broad subject. It's as broad as you have the ethnic groups within Africa. For instance, when you talk about Nigeria alone, we are talking about, um, according to the United Nations statistics, 515 distinct ethnic groups. Now, each one of these ethnic groups is having its own cultural emphasis, its own cultural sources of, of, of identity. It has its own rituals, it has its customs, it has things that make it peculiar. Now, many of those things that we are talking about draw their strength from the roots, the ancestral worship, draw their strength from the deities, draw their strength from the codes of conduct that um, codes of conduct from where morality is validated, which is based on the interactions between man and this particular level of spirits. And within those levels, because African spiritism is also bringing out the fact that the African, in the course of his moving all around the continent, has also grasped the reality of the limits of man in view of the awesomeness of the powers of nature. He has seen the rivers, he has seen the thunders, he has seen the volcanoes, he has seen, he has seen lightning, he has seen different things, the awesome power of nature, and he has seen his own limits. And many times you'll find that some of these things are eventually seen as deities within those areas where they live, and he's trying to find a way to be protected from them, to be shielded from them by appeasing any principality or any spirit or anything that claims to have the power to control those things. Now, in doing that, the African or the, this particular worshiper, either directly with the deities or through somebody that is like a priest who has been initiated into, into acceptance by these deities to be a representative, to be a channel, to be a medium between the deity and the person seeking protection, seeking provision, seeking, um, seeking, seeking uh, health, seeking healing. This person becomes the go-between. And for that deity to sustain allegiance of that particular person, you'll find manipulation of nature has to be done. you find power. And this, uh, this is where you bring in the dark powers. You bring in voodoo. You bring in what's um, in, within the West African um, uh, platforms. You find people called juju, like in Nigeria, you, you hear of juju. It's still the same thing. Whether you say juju or you talk about voodoo or talk about black magic, or you talk about um, um, mystical manifestations, these things are very, very real. And they are seen as, the, as part of the entire worship system or part of the entire um, interactions between that spirit realm and the person. Now, this is so vast because in every particular culture, they have their peculiarities, geographical peculiarities. you find some people that may be living in the river Rhine areas. So you have deities and spirits that may be things attached to streams or to rivers or to the forest. Those that are in the uh, middle belt, you find maybe in rocks. Uh, those that are in the desert, maybe you'll find in you know, different things around, depending on where those people are. So imagine Nigeria alone, and we're having about 515 distinct ethnic groups. It also means that within these ethnic groups, when you go back to their cultural roots, you find deities. And sometimes not one, not two, you'll find deities that give these people their sense of cultural identity and also offer them those kind of protections, maybe from 
their neighbors uh, to uh, to guarantee that there will be rain, to guarantee that their harvest will not be interrupted by locals or different things like that. As many of these things as you have are also as many platforms as you have where magic can take place. So it's a reality, yes. That's really helpful because I um, many of us don't understand um, when people are talking about it, like how they're processing or what they're talking about. But it really is very, very interesting um, because I do think in the West, we forgot about the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And there is another realm that's happening. Um, what would be in 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 the when you're engaging people and you're trying to tell them about Christ that may have um, their faith in African spiritualities and mysticism, how are you making the distinction between Christianity and African mysticism? So when you talk about the distinction between African mysticism and the Western um, the Western worldview. First of all, we have to understand it as worldviews that are clashing, worldviews, and how, what are the similarities between these two worldviews, and what are the distinctions. Let's start with some of the key similarities. When people um, look at the Africans as people who do not have a very robust understanding and knowledge of God, they miss it out totally. Within the African cultural framework, atheism is alien. You do not find an atheist. You will find people who believe, who are highly theistic, and not just theistic. I also want you to know that they are highly monotheistic, contrary to what people think that the African platform is polytheistic. Now, when I'm talking about them being monotheistic is because nearly every African culture believes in the Supreme God. So if you read, for instance, you talk about maybe Isaiah chapter 14, and you see where God is, where Isaiah is, is bringing out the awesome power of God in nature, in creating, in creating the universe, the known universe. When he said, who has made all this, with the stars in the procession, I call them each by name because of my great and mighty power. Not even one of them is missing. He said, I see them thrown upon the cycle of the earth. It's people are like grasshoppers. If you read those kind of passages to a native African who has never seen a white person, he will tell you, yes, I know who you are talking about. That is our Supreme God. And what I'm telling you spans across different cultures. There is that clear belief, that clear understanding of God the Father, who is the maker of everything. Now, the, that is a major similarity that must, be, that must be acknowledged, and it's in the positive. Then, when you now look at the fact that that God is seen as one who doesn't connect directly with man, that is where the problem is. That's where the major distinction comes that for the African mystical framework in their cosmology, you find that God exists there and appears to be unassailable, appears not to be connecting. He's immanent, he's revealed in nature, but to access him, you have to go through this middle block. And the middle block is the problem. This middle block is made of, the, of spirits. And Africans will tell you there are spirits, and there are indeed. Then it's made up of deities who are territorial. The deities are territorial. You find those that are in water, those that are in trees, those that are, those that are, those that are in forest, those that are in rocks, you know, different things around. And they control particular spheres of human endeavor. It could be agriculture. 
it could be um judgment you could find one maybe like in the yorubas they'll tell you shongo is the god of thunder you come to the Igbos, they'll tell you njoko the god of productivity you'll find those who tell you the god of um a particular crop maybe that's their major cash crop these gods or deities are controlling areas of life that are very relevant areas of life that are prominent in their narratives these particular gods reaching them is the way of reaching that supreme god and see where the problem is these gods or these deities now recommend the rituals for reaching them the rituals for accessing them the rituals for appeasing them and these rituals the framework of these rituals from the customs that you have in different tribes or in different ethnic groups and sometimes the particular demands are the things that make these particular forms of worship terrible because they could involve sacrifices they could involve uh, dark things and they could involve manifestations that you know are not clean they could involve possession they could involve covenants wherein these people have to bind themselves to these spirits on oath to do certain things in exchange for certain things it's a transaction now these transactions go on and this deity is able to do the things that these people demand but he has also held them as slaves as prisoners that is where the distinction is very is, is very important so in christianity if we talk about the christian worldview we are talking about god look at um, john chapter five uh, chapter one when the bible said in the beginning was the word the word was in god the word was god he was with god in the beginning through him all things were made without him was anything made that had been made in him was life and this life was the light of men from that verse one up to verse five the african will tell you that is the supreme god but if you go to verse 14 of john one it says and that word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory that is where you just the african misses it out totally because he has a, a, a supreme being that he cannot connect with he only connects with through this middle block whereas in christianity we can connect directly and have a relationship with god and even talk about god living in us through jesus the african doesn't understand that that framework does not accommodate that so the framework that creates a hindrance for the gospel is that middle that middle that makes the african think he has to go through people and these people who are able to you know to recommend those rituals are people who have been initiated so it's a cult of people and some of the demands could be blood demands there could be blood oaths there could be sacrifices and they are so regular you can't finish it so the african or the worshiper is just at the mercy of these people and the demands and the spirits because eventually there's possession and to hold the allegiance of that person there are indeed dark manifestations he sees his enemies punished he sees his enemies die he sees spirits do things really intervene in nature real magic he sees them and then it makes him believe that this thing is valid that this particular spirit is capable of giving me the kind of protection i'm looking for but of course it ends in bondage for the person and for the community mm -hmm. i i think that is really helpful um something that you mean you and I were talking about at the restaurant was um, you were saying that there's a, been a spread of um, maybe prosperity gospel in Africa and because of um, terrorism people are trying to mix Christianity and African mysticism 
because they feel like they've they've accepted something that's insufficient. Can you go into that more? Because I think that's helpful. Yes, um, we've had some of these attacks from Boko Haram. We've had attacks from Fulani Headsmen. Um, a few years ago, when there was, when we had many of the attacks within the city, we had churches being bombed. And each time it happens, the non-Muslim communities try to gather themselves and to maybe form some, um, like a vigilante group, people to defend the communities. And sometimes they even go out into um, trying to revenge, you know, trying to attack by counterattack and to retaliate. Within those moments, they were looking up to the church to try to validate those retaliations. And many of the churches would not do that. We would rather recommend that we respond to the antagonists with the message of love. That is what Christianity is known for. So we had some of the younger segments, the younger demographic who felt that that was not what they wanted. They felt it was not working. They felt that we have waited on God for too long and we are not getting the responses as quickly as we would have wanted them. And they felt that maybe the best option would be to turn back to paganism, to turn back to ancestral worship, to turn back to those gods who had promised protection. And in their different tribes, they have these gods who have promised protection, who have promised to, to um, fight their enemies using the same diabolical method, the same black magic. So we have those kind of things going on. And it's actually a resurgence. In many of these areas where you have had these attacks, you have had communities, particularly the younger demographic, who feel that no, they will not just sit down and see themselves being wiped out. And they feel we'll rather go back again to these powers and appeal and do whatever it takes, even if it means going into the blood um, oath, entering covenants, that, but demanding that we be protected by these um, powers. So those are very real things that have happened. We also find the, res the resurgence of this in, in modern times. When you talk about African mysticism in modern times, apart from this kind of um, um, attitudes that we've talked about for people going back because they're under pressure, because they're seeing communities being attacked, we're also seeing it within churches. So there is this aspect of syncretism that is in many of our churches that you really need to look at it beyond the surface to pick out the DNA of African traditional mysticism being clothed with the garment of modern uh, Christianity. But it is not. It is not. So when you talk about, for instance, in the prosperity, some of the prosperity gospel teachers, uh, there are some particular similarities that can link up with, uh, can, uh, 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 that, that can really link up or, you know, um, um, find connections with African mystical worship. There are, there are. For instance, you'll find that some of these churches, the pastor or the man of God in court is actually so powerful, so revered and nearly worshipped. And the people depend on him totally. The people depend on him for little things, as little as knowing when to travel. They have to call him as little as knowing when to, uh, what to eat, which schools their children should go into. And you'll find that if there was a healthy Christian atmosphere, we should be helping people to relate to God directly. But you'll find that these people try to sustain their relevance by being the mediators, by being the people that the worshipers or their adherents must go through. And I want you to know it's very similar. 
to those powerful priests of those African traditional communities. Those priests were powerful because the people saw them as the only link to get to the Supreme God, the only link to get to the deities. And these people could demand for anything and it to be done because the people want to live, because the people have existential issues and these are the only ways out. So you find many times some of these men of God are already playing the same model, the same model of the traditional leaders. Number two, you also have the use of magical things, use of water, magical water, magical handkerchiefs, magical oils, magical. It's the same thing as the talisman that the African traditional worshippers were using. They, they needed to tie things around their bodies. They had amulets, they had charms, they had things to, to wave off evil spirits. They had things to, to you know, to, to, to draw power. They had things to make them attractive. Somebody going for an examination or somebody going for an interview could have something to make him find favor before the person that is interviewing him. That is manipulation, right? You have things, somebody writing an examination, he takes maybe the, the paper or he takes the, the pen he's going to use for the exam, takes it so that um, certain things are done with it so that when he starts writing, he has inspiration from spirit. All these things have been done in African mysticism. Then we now come to a modern setting, a church that is seeing a church in our modern Christian era. And you find things like that being done. You find holy pens, holy handkerchief, holy oils, holy water. And somebody wants to travel and he goes to get holy water. So he pours it around the car or somebody ties um, um, uh, oil around him. Somebody, we have seen these things being used on an alarming level at an alarming rate. And I want to assure you that if you could bring anybody from the village, anybody that's an adherent of African traditional mysticism, and bring them into some of those churches and show him those practices. He'll tell you that's the same thing we are doing. Hey, I know that. That's that. That's what we're doing. That's actually African traditional religion. So we find those kind of things in modern day church and syncretism is here with us. Another thing again, you find the use of power to deal with enemies. So the formula that Jesus gave to pray for our enemies, to love our enemies, and to pray for those who persecute us has become obsolete it has become something that people do not want to engage with rather we are finding strange prayer points like god kill my enemies like back to sender like my enemies die 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 in jesus name now the native priest who had been in the village who had been in the shrine and people came to him and they said we had enemies from the other village coming to our farms that was what he was praying he was to make the sacrifices so that the gods will kill those people so that the gods will attack those people. The African deities within the framework of African mystical religion do not know love. Love is not there. The mode of justice is to kill, to deal with the person immediately. And you find those kind of things. So when they are being imported into churches, it is a kind of syncretism that is very, very dangerous. And it is here with us. So you find those kind of lines of connection. And indeed, there is an awakening of this, and it is on the increase. And it is very, very unhealthy for the Christian testimony and community. That's helpful because what I'm hearing you say, because there, you know, when you look throughout scripture, you see Paul, um, people trying to, uh, uh, I mean, Jesus walking and the woman with the issue of blood touching him and being made whole, you see, in 
um, the Exodus account, them putting blood over their doors as a means of protection. You see um, people using um, Elijah and you see Elijah and Elijah doing things that seem mystical for healing. And so people think, okay, obviously there's some connection here as far as how we use uh, shawls and uh, um, maybe napkins or staffs or blood on doorposts um, and making the connection for mysticism. But it seems like the way to differentiate um, whether it's mysticism or God's spirit is, is there love and at the root of it? Is there a, um, is God's commandment to love our enemies at the, at the root of how we practice our spirituality? Um, is that, is that one of the keys to know? Because I do know there is, you know, if you're getting in a more spiritual, uh, Pentecostal charismatic, you're going to see things that look oftentimes mystical, but they may not be. Um, they may be a movement of the spirit. Um, how would you differentiate it by how it's uh, telling you to interact with your enemies or how you see love and justice and revenge to differentiate whether this is of God or not? Yes, um, it's a very good, very good question, uh, Lisa. Thank you for that. Um, we must, of course, acknowledge the move of the spirit, the, the, the life of the spirit, the experiences of the spirit, even in Christianity. If you believe scripture, if you are a Christian, then you also know in John, sorry, in Romans chapter 8, he told us that as many as walk in the spirit are the children of God. And then we also have Galatians teaching us about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But Galatians also told us, he said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there there is liberty. That is one of those places where you find a huge distinction. In African mysticism, the entire spiritual exercise is tied to a kind of a legalistic framework of rituals, observances, and things that needed to be done. So the person that is doing it is actually like a prisoner to those things that have to be done. Now, there is a masking of this when the people who want to do it under the cover of Christianity jump the New Testament order of Christianity and immediately tie it to practices you find in the Old Testament. And you find that too. In fact, some people even go to as far as digging into ancient Jewish Kabbalistic practices, and you find them today being done in some churches. You find a resurrection of the uses of things, some of the um, uh, recommendations for priests, Levitical laws. You find observances of of days. You find observances of of um, of Jewish weeks and all that. And the the danger in that is that it is making a mockery of redemption itself that we are going back into the shadows at the expense of the reality the new testament brought out clearly that jesus is the fulfillment of the law those things were done in the old testament pointing us to jesus they were symbols of jesus so that we can set our eyes on him we were doing those things and people would ask us, why are you doing those things in the Old Testament? And we would have been able to tell them in the Old Testament, our God says so. 
So there were things you were doing not because they made sense to you, but because you wanted to honor God. You wanted to show an absolute trust in him. Now, Jesus is that God in person. Jesus is the physical manifestation of God, the exact representation of his being. And he said that fulfilling everything you've had in the law is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So beginning to go back into those practices is actually making a mockery of that which has been done. But it is actually serving the purpose of masking the syncretistic nature of African traditional religion and mysticism, which has been smuggled into the church, particularly within African Pentecostalism. So you find those kind of recommendations and eventually the difference between that and charismatic spiritualism that we're seeing spiritual manifestations is one main thing liberty liberty when somebody is slain by the spirit in quote when somebody is overwhelmed by the spirit when somebody is intoxicated by the spirit which you will still find manifestations you still find sometimes the glossolalia you still find you still find visions you still find um, um prophecies you still find things that you know okay yeah this person is acting or manifesting or living under the spirit but in the end of it there is liberty number two you'll find the manifestation of the fruit of the spirit you'll find a closer it draws the person closer to god there is depth in communion these things do not happen where african mysticism is the issue you'll find people are in bondage there is fear and there is fear that they need to do this and they need to do that or there would be repercussions so you find that there is no liberty there the people are told you have to do this and sometimes it could be money you have to bring this certain amount to have certain breakthroughs and if you do not sometimes there are silent threats even to those people you have to make these observances. You have to use this oil. You have to use this handkerchief. You have to. So you find that the, it's, it's actually a, a resurrection of laws that put people in bondage. But that is exactly what African mysticism has been all about. Because violation of the rituals will be at the expense of the welfare of the community. But you see, Christianity, there is no threat in Christ. He didn't threaten us. He said that he calls us friends. When we come to follow him, we enjoy that communion, and then we manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And then there is the liberty that we have, knowing that we are relating with somebody who has called us, not just friends, has even called us brothers. That is one major distinction that you find. So in as much as we acknowledge the reality of spiritual experiences, and they could be various, you cannot really catalog them and put them in quadrants, but we also want everybody to know that African mysticism has been smuggled into it. And that one way you would know is awakening and resurrection and revisitation of ancient practices, rituals, orders, and things that are legalistic, that create legalistic frameworks, and that also use fear to compel people to do what they're being asked to do. Mm -hmm. That's extremely extremely helpful um for those who are engaging people who are going to these practices what would what would be your admonishment for them because i think people are going to it because they think it's better and like you said it's not it 
it may appear better on the surface, but it hides the hook and it really in, entraps people and brings them into a greater level of bondage. Um, what would be your, your final thoughts or your admonishment to those who, who are dabbling, who are considering going back because they feel like this is something that our ancestors practice and we need to return back to that because it was stolen it was stolen from us from white men and we need to return back to what our ancestors had um before they were brought to the west okay um it's a very good question again lisa the first thing i'll say is that i will need for those people to know that some of our brothers and friends from the western world have gotten it wrong about african mysticism it has been looked at from the lens of the West, and you have had, um, like um, the person that described to David Livingstone in 1873, when he said um, at the shores of Lake, uh, I think it was Lake Tanga in, in Tanzania, when Africa was described as the dark continent. That kind of generalization is coming out of geographical ignorance, is coming out of um, um, uh, scientific racism, is coming out of cultural prejudice. And many times when those kind of statements are made or used to describe African traditional religion, it infuriates the Africans and make them want to get back into it in order to score a point. I would say, first of all, that side, there is a wrong side of that kind of, um, that kind of um, interaction with African mysticism. There are positives in that framework. For instance, I've told you, when we, in apologetics, when we try to look at worldviews and to test worldviews, we look at what the worldview has to say about the origin of life, what the worldview has to say about the meaning of life, about morality in life, and about destiny in life. When you go through this worldview test, you will find out that the African traditional religious worldview is highly theistic. Now, that is a positive. It is very, very theistic and not even polytheistic. It believes in the Supreme God. For instance, if you come to many African cultures or ethnic groups today, you will find that they have a common name for that Supreme God. They have a particular name for that Supreme God. And when Christianity came to them, that same name they called that Supreme God became the name they called God the Father because the entire description of the Father that we have in the Trinity is the Supreme God they have always known. For instance, I am from the Igbo extract in Nigeria, from the southeastern part of Nigeria. And my own ancestors, when they worship the Supreme God, they call him Chi, C-H-I. Chi means the Supreme God, the creator of everything, the owner of the universe. Now, when you talk about Chi himself, you are talking about it before Christianity, that in the pre-Christian era, you're talking about that Supreme God within the context that is not Christian. Now, Christianity has come in. My own middle name is Onyekachi. Onyekachi is a question. It is saying, who is greater than God? But which God are they talking about? They're talking about the Christian God. But what name? The same name. The same name, because there's no other name. That is what they have. That is who he is. So it's like people that we are worshiping, people that raise altars to an unknown God. So the Christian apologist has the work of letting them know that God you have, which the Yorubas will call Olorun, 
which the Ngas will call Nen, which the um, the Igbos will call Chi Chi or Chuku. Chuku means great God. Chi Uku Chi Uku Chi. That is God. Uku Great, the Great God. That same God is that's those that, that same God is the one that the Bible has talked about has manifested in Christ. So the apologist is able to key in and dot those lines and is able to link up and make a valid connection and meaningful conversation with the African. But you see, where the African himself now needs to know those that are thinking and advocating going back is that in Christianity, that entire middle framework of ancestors, spirits, and deities is eliminated. That in Christ, we are connected directly to God. And one of the passages or books that I find very relevant for people who need to understand the danger of going back is the letter of Paul to the Colossians. Because in chapters 1 and 2, he argued presenting the supremacy of Jesus over every other religious um, deity or every, every other um, worldview, the supremacy of Jesus, and then secondly, the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus. So the person that feels like going back to these paganistic practices needs to know that in Christ there is supremacy, supremacy over the idols, supremacy over the deity, supremacy over the ancestral spirits. How do we know there is supremacy? That is something that can be tried any day, any time. In the name of Jesus, demons have been cast out of adherence of African traditional religion. It is still happening up till today. So anywhere you have somebody who is an adherent of African traditional religion, who is possessed by the spirits that are coming from any of these particular shrines or localities or these territories, we have seen these spirits being subdued by the name of Jesus. We have seen situations at the name of Jesus, demons are shrieking out of people. We have seen magical processes, in mag magical things in process, and we stopped them in the name of Jesus. In the fields, we have gone out into a, a, a village for mission that was notorious for witchcraft. And right there, when we're about to start, the entire equipment refused to work. The generator, the electrical generating set was not working. The projector was not working. We tried our best to do everything. And a little boy came and whispered, he said, wow, these guys don't know that these things have been tied. And I called him, I said, what did you say? He said, yes, these things have been tied. Tied by who? And he kept quiet. He didn't need to say more. I understood what he was saying. And I immediately told the prayer team that, brethren, we are actually dealing with a spiritual situation here. Let everybody go into prayer. And we took authority in the name of Jesus. We bound spirits that were, in, that were interacting with our equipment, and we commanded them to leave the place. I am telling you, Lisa, the equipment started working immediately. That is the supremacy of Jesus. And that is the message that must be sold to the person that wants to go back. The person is going back into that which is which is just a little. It's like it's like doing and playing around a with a little bucket of water when you can have the whole ocean to yourself. So going into that is not the best thing for anybody. But number two, we also need to sell the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus. The framework of African mysticism always places demands. There are things that may be done periodically. There are things that may be done daily. There are libations that may be made, things poured on the ground, things that must be observed, particular things not to be eaten, particular clothes not to wear, certain hours of the day you have to wake up to do certain things. 
it is a huge burden that nobody that is sane will want to keep. But the sacrifice of Jesus is once and for all, and it needs not to be done again. In the African framework, animals are sacrificed. And the higher the purity of the sacrifice, the higher the validity of the power of the covenant you are making. So the, if you are, um, let's say you are engaging with somebody, maybe there is a tussle with another community, and you called on your own deity, and then you sacrificed a chicken or a hen, and then they sacrificed a goat, then they are likely going to have a, an age over you because they have sacrificed something that is bigger and something that is, that is better as a sacrifice. If somebody sacrifices a cow, then he could have an age over the person that sacrificed the goat. If somebody sacrifices a human being, he has an age over the person that sacrificed the cow. If somebody sacrificed a human being as an adult, but another person sacrifices a baby or sacrifices a virgin, you see, they say in that framework that is purer. So he has an age over this person. You see that, that kind of understanding? But here we have Jesus. There is no sacrifice that can be done in African mysticism that can stand on the level of the purity of the sacrifice of Jesus. And that is why when the apologists bring up the issue of sacrifice, the African understands it immediately because he lives in a framework where there is demand for sacrifice. Some sacrifice crops, some sacrifice food, some poor libation of wine and different things. But here is Jesus, a sacrifice made once for all. And why is it a sacrifice that tops the whole thing? Jesus was the sacrifice and then he rose again. It has never happened in any shrine enough, only in Jesus where the sacrifice that was made is alive. He gave his life and he took it up again. Every sacrifice made in a shrine is left there dead. So that framework gives Jesus su sufficiency. So the African that comes to Jesus is finding a framework that is sufficient. He needs not to go into any of these things again. Now, remember that because he has come to Jesus, that is supreme, he has power over the spirits that he has served before he can cast them out he doesn't need to live in fear he doesn't need to live in fear of the the spirits the marine spirits the water spirits the snake spirits whatever they are he can cast them out at the name of jesus they will leave that place and they do so quickly then he also needs to know he's no longer a slave because he's free the sacrifice has already been done he's a recipient of that which has already been done so why would somebody leave that framework and go back to a framework that is not as superior as that of Christ, a framework that places demands of practices on you, a framework that places that a framework that that drives you by fear, that fear is the motivating factor. You are driven by fear of displeasing that particular deity, fear of not meeting up to the demands, fear of knowing the repercussions, knowing that you are in bondage. A framework that demands that you sell your soul, that you sell, you mortgage your children, that you mortgage your destiny, that you mortgage your prosperity in order to have some interventions. And more so, a framework wherein you know that any day it encounters Jesus, it bows to Jesus. Why would you want to go back to that? Wow. So when people who engage, Christian apologies, when they engage from that particular angle, they are able to win the African. And let me say that 
in the western with the western atheists we engage and we have ideological engagements ideological discussions for the african one of the easiest thing the christian apologists can do is the power engagement to command the spirits that are in the life of that person or that are involved in the activities of that person to command them in the name of jesus to seize the activities and to actually command them to leave the person each time it is done they do and there is nothing that convinces the person than to see the spirit that he has relied upon the power that have claimed to be ultimate seeing them surrendering to the name of jesus that is what we still use in mission up till today wow that is extremely helpful and i think this it will be a extremely helpful conversation thank you so much for your time and i know you said one of the most helpful things uh for as a resource for the uh for the christian when they're engaging someone who may be um involved in african mysticism is the book of colossians is there any other thing you would recommend Yes, I recommend the book of Colossians, as I said. I also recommend the passages where Jesus talked about the supremacy of the power in him over demons. For example, um, Luke chapter 10, verse 19, when he says, I have given you authority to tread upon snakes and upon scorpions and to overcome every power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. It is a very valid statement that the African needs that gives him confidence in the power of Jesus. You also, um, um, the, the overcoming by the blood of Jesus, overcoming by the blood of Jesus, we don't need to shed any blood or spill any blood on our doorposts or anything, that the Passover of the Old Testament was a shadow and that the reality is in Christ. And to say that we have the blood that speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. So any African community that has the opportunity to do a Bible study on the book of Hebrews. It is very, very helpful. In the book of Hebrews, you find the elevation of the distinction of the priesthood of Jesus over every other kind of priesthood. You find the elevation and the distinction of the sonship of Jesus over angels. And I must say here that there are some of the churches that do not call themselves African worshippers, but they are, they are called mystical churches. And these are the ones that engage many directly. They engage within that realm, that middle realm, and they bring in the worship of angels. So you find people being told that they need um, for certain things to be done, for them to gain certain things, they needed to use certain psalms. They needed to make some prayers at particular hours, three o'clock, six o'clock, nine o'clock, these are Kabbalistic things. you find them in ancient Jewish Kabbalah. And then you also find um, recommendation of particular names of angels to be mentioned several times in order to, to tune in into some particular power quadrants. So you find names of angels that you have not seen in scripture. And I want to say these things are dangerous. We are opening up ourselves to a whole flooding of demonic activities. God didn't give us, he didn't ask us to go into those kind of angelic worship. So when one goes through the book of Hebrews, the entire book is very, very helpful because in chapters one, in chapter one, he showed the supremacy of Jesus over the angels. To none of the angels did God say, you are my son today, I have become your father. 
He said the angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those that will inherit salvation. You'll find again when you go, you see the priesthood of Jesus being more supreme to Moses and the law. And you see it being end, uh, ending in, in chapter 12 up to 14, telling us to now have our eyes fixed on that Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. So I would recommend, apart from the book of Colossians, I would recommend the book of Hebrews. I would recommend the gospel of Jesus, particularly Mark, the gospel of Mark, wherein you see the demonstrations of the power of Jesus over nature, or the gospel of John, wherein you see the I am claims of Jesus. And then when we just oppose them to the activities of these deities, we can see that they can't do that. They have never done that because they cannot do that, because they, because they were not even made to do that. Then we can also look at the fruit of the Spirit, that when we engage, when we serve these deities, what kind of people do we become? We become vicious people. We become people with a vendetta. We become people who, who, whose hearts are hardened. We become people who live in fear. We raise our children in fear. We are afraid not to violate these things, lest the repercussions come on us. But the other side, when we serve Jesus, we are free. We sleep freely. We walk freely, not because of what we have done, not because of what we can do, but because of what he has done, which we simply receive by faith. I think there is nothing that can compare to what we have in Jesus. And anybody within the African community that wants to go back to paganism, as I see it, many of them are responding to some forms of Western um, oppression, things they perceive to be oppression. Um, and I want to say that taking yourself into bondage because you want a Westerner to know that you are displeased with his activities over your life and your environment, I don't think it's, it's a wise thing. I think there are other ways that we can raise our voices against some of those kind of prejudices, against those kind of attacks, against the black community, against marginalization, against social discrimination, against um, um, inequality in distribution of resources, and some of those complaints from the black community. I think where these things are legitimate, bring out your complaints and place them, but do not take yourself back into darkness in order to make a statement to the, um, the, the Western community or to the white community. It is not wise at all. You are risking eternity. You are risking eternity. The only framework that guarantees that you are going to be with the Lord at the end of life is the Christian framework. The African traditional framework, at the end of your life, you're going back to be with your ancestors. But you know that in the cosmology, that the ancestors are the lowest of that middle quadrant. You have the spirits, the deities, then the ancestors. But for the Christian, we're going to be with God. And Colossians say that even when we live, while we are still alive, he said we are seated with Christ at both principalities and powers. So as soon as somebody takes Jesus into his heart, he's actually taken above that that middle segment and the person is actually reigning with Christ we shouldn't lose that for anything not even for the for, for making a, a statement because of some of the things that we have seen within our societies I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that Wow that is extremely helpful this has been an extremely rich conversation and you gave us a lot to chew on and I know everybody that hears this um, will be edified and helped and I really just appreciate you taking the time um, to do this and I'm so thankful for the ministry you have and um, just the work that you're doing um, to serve um, your country. Um, 
how can people get in contact with you? Yes, you, you can um, get in contact with me. Um, you have my email, that is one. And then um, uh, you want, I can also leave a, a phone number that you can get across to me on WhatsApp and you can make a phone call. Um, if the time differences is uh, taken into account and uh, yes, we can have a conversation. And I'm willing to have a conversation with any black um, American that is at a dilemma and really needs to know what to do and is actually contemplating on dabbling into African mysticism. I'm willing to have a conversation with that person in any way I can help because I want to assure you that you wouldn't even wish for your enemy to go back into those kind of um, dark quadrants, no way. And yeah, you can get across to me. Um, I'm here in Jaws and I serve as an Anglican priest in the Diocese of Jaws and emails, WhatsApp, phone calls, these are possible ways to get across to me apart from physical contact. And yes, we can Skype. That is also another one. We can Skype, we can have those those things. If times are arranged, I can connect with anybody and we can have the conversation. We can even pray together if that is needed. Well, I'll give, uh, we'll put your email address on the screen for those who want to reach out to you to have further contact. Thank you so much uh, for your time. We greatly appreciate it. And I hope you have a wonderful day. And remember here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you know what you believe and why you believe it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune in to all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. Com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching Jude3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.